0: Welcome to Teaching Borderlands. This podcast series seeks to expand our understanding of the U.S. borderlands in order to teach about them better, especially in theological education. I am your guest host, Gregory Cuellar. I teach Hebrew Bible at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and I am a member of the Wabash Center Borderlands Theological Education Grant team. Today, I am pleased to have with me Dr. Efrain Agosto, the primary host of this podcast series and a member of the team. Dr. Agosto is professor of New Testament studies at New York Theological Seminary in New York City and the seminary's former academic dean. A Puerto Rican, Dr. Agosto was born in the Bronx and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Among his published works are Servant Leadership: Jesus and Paul in 2005, and a book of sermons from when he was an interim pastor in a Latinx Baptist Church in New York City, titled Preaching in the Interim: Transitional Leadership in the Latino Latina Church. 2018 that same year his co-edited volume with Jacqueline Hidalgo also came out titled Latinx the Bible and migration it's put out by Paul Grave Macmillan this book has proved to be a seminal book within the field of biblical interpretation Ephraim's teaching and research expertise, focused on the New Testament letters of Paul and the issues of empire, ecclesia, leadership, and ministry that they reflect. Currently, Ephraim is a lay member of Center Church Hartford, United Church of Christ, and he lives with his wife, Olga Gisela, in West Hartford, Connecticut. Welcome, Dr. Alborsto. I consider you a cherished colleague, friend, and sage. So, if I may, I will refer to you as
1: Ephraim. Of course.
0: You mentioned in your book in Spanish, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that you learned Spanish as your first language. And that your father's, your parents, Ephraim and Emerita Agosto, were immigrants from Puerto Rico and came to New York in the 1950s. And thinking about your background, I'm wondering why theological education as a career choice?
1: Thank you, Greg, thank you for having me. That really is a great question. And it's a long story and I'll try to make it short, but uh, uh, my mother uh, in particular began to take us to a Latino Pentecostal church, first in the Bronx and then in Brooklyn, uh, as as a response, I think, to to being a, a newly arrived immigrant uh, she was, uh, you know, she grew up in a, uh, in the countryside of Puerto Rico. Uh, married my father there, and then they both came in 1951, and uh, they needed some kind of religious uh, help in, in terms of navigating uh, New York City, and they turned to Latino Pentecostal Church. And my first uh, memory, really, of uh, as a child, were, were the coritos and the, and the worship experiences and the Bible studies right, in, in the church. And so, in fact, uh, uh, when I finished uh, the junior high Sunday school class of our church in Brooklyn uh, and, the, and the the teacher, the Sunday school teacher, moved away or, or, or left, uh, the pastor, uh, the great Miguel Rivera, my, 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 you know, pastor when I was a kid, he uh, saw something in me and he put me to teach that class. I was only 15 years old I had just finished uh, and and he put me to teach that class, uh, Sunday school class of the junior high kids, you know, kids just a little bit younger than me. I was terrible, but it was the beginning of really my career <laughs> teaching the Bible, little did I know. Years later after college and with some mentors that uh, a fellow named Eldon Biafagne, uh, uh who was also a Pentecostal from another church uh, in the Bronx, He uh, encouraged me to think about seminary. And so when I realized that you could, you know, make a living studying and teaching the Bible, I went off to seminary and and then graduate school uh, and then became, you know, a Bible teacher, specifically in New Testament. Uh, So I I think it was those early years that my parents began to take us to, uh, myself and my sisters, to a Latino Pentecostal church. Uh, as a response to being in newly arrived people in, uh, in in New York City, uh, now I was born in the city, so for me it was you know uh, uh, life, you know being uh, being a city kid, but for them it was uh, an experience, and they needed a- outlets and help, and the church became that. And you know, years later, I became a, a Bible professor.
0: Yeah, the intersections of your own cultural background and religious tradition come to the fore in you telling your story about how you arrived to theological education and to teaching the new testament it also seems apparent that in your journey you've had a commitment to the latino community and attuning your work attuning your your scholarship your teaching to the needs of the latino church why is has that been important for you in fulfilling your call to theological education?
1: Well, uh, it's an interesting question because my training in a, 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 a mostly white evangelical seminary for my MDiv, and then in you know a major university, Boston University, for uh, my PhD, uh, did not directly address those matters, what it means to do biblical interpretation as a Latino, in my case a a Latino Puerto Rican uh, from New York City. Uh, I, you know, I did have Elden Biafania, another Puerto Rican New Yorker, to guide me. He was a social ethicist and he directed an urban program and so I went to work with him uh, after seminary and and then did graduate school uh, in that context, uh, you know, in the context of working on urban ministerial education, so those connections to the community that uh, Dr. Biafanya helped me uh, keep helped me navigate uh, traditional, historical, critical approaches uh, to Bible to New Testament that I learned in seminary, that I learned in graduate school uh, in my PhD work. Uh, and so, for example, when I it was time at, at Boston University to do my, my 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 dissertation, the motivating factor were questions of leadership, right? I, I, I you could read that in the forward to servant leadership to my book, uh, which was also in the introduction to my dissertation. The notion that I was motivated by the experience of having grassroots leaders who may not have had high status, high, a lot of credentials, but nonetheless were committed to the cause, in this case of the Latinx community. And so they taught me about how to care for the community. And so I came to the New Testament, and specifically the Pauline letters, asking those kinds of questions. Where is the care and concern? Where is the leadership development? Where, what do these texts, particularly Pauline texts, do with issues of leadership and class and empire? Uh, in approaching the, the gospel and the gospel ministry and the gospel community so the experience of being a, a latino growing up in the urban pentecostal setting and the urban setting in general influenced the kinds of questions and research i did in my doctoral work and then later on in my teaching career uh leadership the book came out of the uh uh, uh, the dissertation expanded into discussions about Jesus and the Gospels uh, My commentary on 1st, 2nd Corinthians in Spanish Of course was in, in service to the La- Latino community And then the, the book of, uh, on, on Latinx Bible and Migration The co-edited volume was again exploring uh, uh, biblical resources uh, You have an essay in that book Jackie Dalgo and other colleagues of course and my essay in that book is uh ex- explores uh border issues for paul as a border uh a migrant uh to to preach the gospel across asia and, and 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 greece um uh those questions that come directly from the experience of being uh someone on the border, if not the physical border in my case, but the border of being uh, a Latinx Puerto Rican person in New York City, in traditional theological education, in graduate education. I mean, a lot of borders are crossed uh, that you and I have crossed uh, uh, in our educational experience and our ministry experience, uh, and, and that influences our biblical work.
0: Yes, that that is... Uh, you know, in, in looking at both of our our trajectories and our journeys to theological education, me in the Hebrew Bible, and you in the New Testament, I came, I was entering into a time when there was a fairly large network of Latinos and Latinas in biblical studies, whom I could I could engage with and and dialogue. I could I'm I'm just trying to imagine. When you were entering in, if that was accessible to you, if you had, apart from these grassroots leaders, people within the academy, people in your field who you could draw upon for sharpening ideas, comparing notes, uh, what did was there a, a, a network of um, mentors or people you could you could turn to within the guild that would help that helped sustain you?
1: Not as many as there are now, or as many as there were when you uh, entered graduate school. Is never enough, obviously. But, but um, I do remember this one incident that that that, that uh, may illustrate the challenges. No, uh, I remember meeting you know uh, uh, this is the late '80s, early '90s. Fernando Segovia at an at a, a at SBL meeting, annual meeting. Uh, and it was the first time I had met, uh, I think, a Latino uh, biblical scholar, right, in my field in New Testament. I also met Francisco Garcia Treto at that point uh, uh, as well, but basically in, in New England, I was uh, pretty much on my own in terms of of, of Latinx biblical uh, um, uh, resources and mentors. Uh, you know, I read, I read books, articles, but in terms of having uh, close relationships with folk that could uh, guide me along. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, extensive, but I do remember that that Fernando uh, said to me, um, uh, as I was writing my dissertation in the late '80s, early '90s. He said, "If you need a reader, uh, uh, let me know. I'll be happy to be a reader." And I mean, it was it was a generous generous offer, uh, and I approached my advisor uh, about it, and 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 he said, "Sure." Uh, but let him know we got no money to bring him or to get him involved. And so I said, "Well, I'm a little embarrassed to sort of ask him to 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 help me out if if we bring him to town and and you know we can't resource him so he could you know." So I never followed up, unfortunately, with Fernando. I bet you he would have come anyway, and or at least would have read my materials. Uh, uh, but I felt kind of you know we my school should have put out some dollars to help him support me. Uh, 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 you know, as an external reader uh, in, in this process, so that was an experience where you know I, it, there wasn't a lot of resources. The few that were offered themselves, but I felt kind of you know uh, <laughs> I can't pay them, and the school's not going to pay them. You know, uh, uh, you know. Anyway, it's that that's some of the difficulties. You know, uh, again, I I was uh, started graduate school in the late '80s and finished in the mid '90s. By the time I I was all done. Uh, and that's another thing, I, you know, I, there, the, there wasn't a whole lot of financial resources. Um, and so I had to work for a lot of, you know, I had a family, a small, a young family. So I had to work for, so it took me really 85 to 95 to finish coursework, take my exams, write my dissertation and get it approved uh, because I was working, uh, you know, uh, at another seminary while I was doing my graduate work. So it, it, I'm so happy for the Hispanic theological initiative for having more colleagues, uh, uh, conversation partners, uh, uh, in this day and age, because even as, as late, really as the late eighties, there were few and far between. Uh, and, and so, you know, I navigated pretty much, you know, with my advisors at school, uh, and occasional conversations with people like Segovia, but it, it was kind of a lonely road in that sense.
0: So in your biography, you be hearing uh, your trajectory and how you entered into theological education, the borders that you've had to cross, sometimes with others, sometimes alone. And coming into the classroom as one who's from New York, from the Bronx, from uh, a Puerto Rican background, what part of you or parts of you are you having to negotiate uh, when you go into the classroom and you are? teaching students, I assume most preparing for ministry of some sort, religious leadership. How, how do you manage the, those parts of you that have a distinct cultural context and then that classical training that you had to encounter and go through and preparing yourself to be a professor of New Testament?
1: Uh, Thank you for that question. So as soon as I finished my PhD, I switched jobs. So I had a full-time administrative position at the seminary from which I graduated. And then I finished my PhD, and I could have continued in that position, become director of a seminary program, uh, uh, mostly with with some teaching, but mostly administrative. But then a position became available uh, at, at Hartford Seminary. And I became professor and I applied for it and got it. And so six months after finishing my PhD, I was at at a new place, uh, you know, and full-time professor, uh, a small administrative role, which really kept me grounded in Latino community directing a weekend certificate program. So I was professor, assistant professor of New Testament studies and director of the Latino ministries program at Hartford Seminary. And I did that work for 16 years uh, and I developed as a, 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 as a New Testament professor with my grounding in both uh, a, 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 a mainline Protestant seminary that cared about interfaith dialogue. So I was teaching New Testament studies, uh, in an, uh, uh, and, it was, and it was an evening school, uh, Hartford Seminary. Most classes were in the evening, uh, working adults, some going into ministry, some you know just studying religion, as a kind of uh, uh, religious studies approach in their master's work. It was, a, it was a fascinating experience, a great kind of way to grow up broadly in New Testament studies, teaching across the board, not just future pastors, but, but religious leaders, lay leaders, as well as uh, Muslims and other uh, religious traditions that came to Hartford Seminary to be trained in interfaith dialogue. And then I had the weekend Latino program with more traditional uh, uh, Latino Latinx religious leaders uh, in Protestant and Pentecostal churches, uh, some lay, some some pastoral agents. So, uh, so and, and it was taught in Spanish. So it was, I think, for fifteen sixteen years, a, a terrific uh, building ground. I wrote two books during that period. Uh, I taught. Uh, um, uh, 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 all kinds of folk from all kinds of uh, ba- religious and ethnic backgrounds in English and Spanish, and so uh, you know and I think about it I said you know he it was a very very uh, uh, exciting kind of uh, uh, experience for me in the middle of it, I became the dean of the school and and that took me away from some of my teaching and research um, uh, and that and after that deanship i I, I decided to uh, switch it up and go back to my hometown. And, and teach where I teach now in New York Theological Seminary, mostly because they had an NBIV program and I could invest more directly in training future pastors in New Testament studies. And by that time, not just uh, liberation theology, but post-colonial theology had uh, had uh, arrived in, in, in biblical studies so I could explore uh, 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 colonization and post-colonial approaches uh, to the, to the biblical narratives with an urban community such as we had at New York Theological or have at New York Theological from New York City. So I would say that I've always been a New Testament professor grounded in context. The ancient context of the empire, the uh, uh, you know, at a distance, obviously, a historical distance, and the, the urban Hartford, New York City, and ethnic, Latino, uh, interfaith contexts uh, in both Hartford and New York. Uh, and so I don't read the New Testament any other way except through those lenses. Um, and, and so a book on leadership in the New Testament, uh, a, a, a Corinthians commentary uh, in Spanish, right, and then the edited volume on um, on, on migration that, that, that several great colleagues like yourself and Jackie Dago have contributed to. So it's been a, a, even though my training was very traditional, uh, both at seminary and in graduate school, my experience has been thoroughly non-traditional and I've grown up with it and I've appreciated it thoroughly.
0: Yeah. That's been one of the impressive things about your work is how you embody your context, that it's not one that is put to the side, as a peripheral matter or peripheral element of what your work and your scholarship, um, you you do such a great job in bringing forth the fullness of yourself in your work and in your scholarship and in your advocacy work uh, in helping others who are seeking to enter into theological education find their way uh, through the mentorship program at uh, HTI, the mm-hmm. Hispanic Theological Initiative. And I'm thinking here of Gloria Anzaldua's work in describing Borderlands as a wound, but it's also as it's a place of encounter. It's where two different others come together at a point of intersect and as you were talking about how you're bringing together your New Testament training and the care and dedication you have to diversity, right? Diversity, diverse contexts and diverse ways of of learning about New Testament uh, texts. You're, In a sense, coming to the classroom as the embodiment of a border, you're, you embody borderlands, you're bringing people to your otherness, but at this, and, 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 and yet you're also encountering and allowing for others to bring their otherness to the learning process. Um, how would you describe your, if you were to think of borderlands as a metaphor or a symbol for theological education. How how would you frame that? How what would be some of the things that you could do? You could uh, give us to to see it through the, those lenses of borderlands.
1: Thank you. Uh, so just a brief comment about your um, uh, acknowledgement of the sort of the borders I've crossed in from my traditional training to my non traditional approaches. Uh, in in certain ways to uh you know my new testament work research writing and teaching uh uh it occurs to me even as i talk about it that the two institutions i've worked for since i um uh you know finished my doctoral work has allowed me it's been 25 years but has allowed me flexibility i am not i have not had to uh 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 I was the only New Testament professor at Hartford seminary. I'm the only New Testament professor at, uh, at New York theological seminary. So these are two small non-traditional urban schools that have allowed me to set my own agenda and teach, you know, I teach introductory courses in New Testament, but I also teach a- electives that are, you know, uh, uh, very much of interest to me. And, and I think to my students, uh, in terms of approaching the New Testament. So, uh, The fact that I haven't had to cross the border of traditionalism in my career, in my two schools that I've worked with for the last 25 years, they let me set my own agenda and set my own borders. And that's a powerful thought that just really <laughs> occurred to me as I'm talking to you, Greg. So I appreciate the line of questioning to think about w- where I've been the last 25 years. Uh, but in terms of your immediate question about um, the, the themes of, of border crossing, it is you know uh, for me to leave the the beautiful confines of New York City to travel to northern New England for my for my seminary education. And then to stay in Boston uh, for twelve years after that to do my uh, to do my doctoral work uh, and work, you know, in in in, in, a, in an urban uh, theological setting, uh, um, the Center for Urban Ministerial Education, which crossed borders from evangelical traditional evangelical theology theological education to urban theological education. Um, uh, 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 this was a border crossing life for me, you know, to go from the city to another big city to do a, a traditional theological education and to teach it uh, in non-traditional ways uh, at two seminaries that are very much on the cutting edge of, of both urban and multi-faith theological education, particularly in the case of Hartford Seminary. Um, uh, borders are not just the geographical borders, which of course are the, um, one of the important aspects of the project that we're doing together. Uh, You know, I've uh, the team knows I'm maybe among with five of us. I'm probably uh, myself and one other who have never been to the Southwest border, right? Physically, you know, to sort of you know I've been to Texas and all that, been to California, but have not crossed the border. Have not been uh, on the border to the detention centers like you, like Daisy Machado uh, and Raul Fernandez, our other colleagues in this team have been, and so. It, it drew this project drew me to sort of experience uh, those experiences uh, on, on the physical border, but yeah, we've been crossing borders in, in uh, the, theologically. You know, I, I grew up Pentecostal, uh, uh, Latino Pentecostal, but nonetheless, I don't consider myself uh, uh, an evangelical in the way that I was trained at. At at the evangelical school that I went to, I don't consider myself, you know, I'm not a member of a Pentecostal church anymore, so I cross my borders into some sort of uh, uh, liberal Protestant expressions of the faith, but still, you know, uh, consider myself uh, uh, with authenticity to to the Christian gospel, uh, but just in different ways. So there's a lot of border crossing that happens theologically, religiously, uh, as well as physically. Uh, even without crossing uh, uh, the, the, south, the the contested physical uh, southwest border, and so now to engage this project to think about borderlands both as the physical places and to experience them in my case for the first time, but also to know that i 've crossed a lot of borders like all of us have uh, in our in our journey. Through uh, edu- theological education, through uh, academic uh, uh, work that we've that we've done, um, and through our teaching in a diverse classroom uh, that I have uh, in Hartford and in, and now in New York City, so uh, borders are uh, both uh, physical, but also uh, um, ideological, theological, um, and 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 you know once you experience difference in a variety of ways it prepares you for other kinds of difference that you must uh, engage.
0: Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that this project that we're a part of, the project that has brought us together recently is part of a Wabash grant titled Expanding the Latinx Vision of Borderlands at ATS Member Schools, ATS standing for Association of Theological Schools. And I think you explained a bit, you've done a really nice segue into the, answer the question, why, why is the proj- project important to you? And what I'm gathering is the, that though you may have not been physically in the spots of the US or areas in US society that are traditionally or commonly designated as um, products of the borderlands, you've described a strategy of the borderlands that I think spreads across multiple cultural contexts. And we thinking I'm thinking here of your last edited volume, Latinx, the Bible, migration, how migratory groups since the the formation of US nation state, we've seen many from uh, our southern countries, Spanish speaking countries, Portuguese-speaking countries, these, the, the Latinx uh, cultures coming to the U.S. and crossing these borders as a strategy. And one, one thing that I'm hearing is that you have been conducting and engaging in this strategy throughout your th- career and experience in theological education. So, keeping that in mind, I'm I'm wondering what now are you anticipating as you take this knowledge, this having shown the 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 worthiness and and the importance of border crossing as a strategy within theological education. What do you look forward to accomplishing in this project? What are some of the things that you hope to to um, experience,
1: learn? The immediate, uh, besides being with uh, longtime colleagues like yourself and, and Daisy Machado and Teresa Delgado, Eduardo Fernandez that I've cherished for so many years, to, for the five of us to be uh, working together on this is, is, is a real uh, highlight of the project. Um, secondly, being able to We've been slowed down a bit because of the pandemic, but eventually we hope we can physically, uh, w- with the guidance of experts like you and, and, and Daisy Machado, uh, go to the border and experience uh, uh, the southwest border and add that to our experience of borderlands reality, including how we teach about it in our, in our seminaries. Um, uh, so, so that's the second attraction of the program, of the, of the project. Being able to go with colleagues who in the know uh, uh, to the physical border in Southwest U.S. to add that to our uh, experience of borderlands and border crossing. Uh, thirdly, you know, uh, um, my essay in that in, in that book, Latinx uh, Migration and, and Borders, uh, uh, the edited volume. Um, My essay was on Paul, I've already alluded to this, the Apostle Paul, the the, the heart of my research over the years and my teaching, uh, uh, to look at him through the lens of border crossing as he crosses borders uh, of the Roman imperial order uh, under the auspices of the empire and and the dangers uh, that that entailed and to do so to establish uh, uh, congregations, assemblies, ecclesiae, uh, that um, uh, espouse a, a, a Caesar, a Lord different from the Empire, right? Uh, you know, a religious Caesar, but nonetheless a Caesar, nonetheless in in Christ. Uh, for for uh, you know, I mean, we ought not forget that Paul, Peter, as well as Jesus before them, were executed uh, by the Roman Empire, and it had a lot to do with this sort of uh, political gospel, you no? Know? Uh, uh, of preaching a, a, another Caesar, uh, another Lord, uh, uh, Christ Jesus, uh, uh, and, he, a, and yet to encounter the danger of crossing borders in the empire to uh, uh, to, to share that message of the lordship of Jesus uh, uh, in their in people's lives, you know, uh, to do that uh, in a, in a da- is a, a kind of um, a conversation partner. For our brothers and sisters who cross borders uh, uh, and engage danger, particularly in this day and age, with this, these contested spaces and these uh, oppressors uh, in our own U.S. government, tragically, uh, you know, caging children, separating families, um, uh, keeping people on the other side of the border in 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 in, 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 in uh, dangerous conditions. Uh, uh, instead of uh, many of these uh, legitimate asylum seekers uh, and the like. Uh, how do we put the ancient imperial order and the dangers of Christ believers uh, in those days in conversation with uh, our, our uh, various types of border crossers uh, in this day and age, I think is, is, is an important uh, aspect of my own research um and so i'm glad to join in this team to think about those to reflect on those kinds of things as well as of course the fact that our target audience is theological schools so we're going to be visiting schools talking to schools uh uh interested in how does the curriculum get impacted by talking about borderlands in all of its ramifications physical as well as ideological and theological and experiential so um uh, I think it's an exciting project. I'm glad to be part of it. Uh, and I look forward to uh, uh, a post-pandemic, if you will, visit uh, to the border uh, to experience it physically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful. And you know, when you think about various religious traditions within theological education, you can immediately see the political landscape divided Uh, within theological education and to bring to the fore borderlands, border crossing, I could see how it would incite various political opinions and and responses that are rooted within uh, political worldviews. So one of the areas that may be of... um, Rich dialogue and, and encounter are schools that have not normally engaged in activism, or are readily engaging in the issues of the stranger, the sufferer, as you describe those families separated at the border. There's the the political aspect, and I'm I'm wondering what. Message or words of wisdom as you're thinking of this project, and we're wanting to, we're sort of at the initial stages of it. How do we engage in a dialogue with perhaps groups that may be suspicious of this project's overarching objective, uh, expanding Latinx vision of borderlands, and maybe uh, lest um, you know not fully uh, open to wanting to have this kind of discussion, given the the political um, elements that surround borders and borderlands. Do you have any words of wisdom, any any, uh, just reflections on how to uh, not just uh, open the topic, but how do we open the topic in contexts that may not be open to the topic?
1: It's a great question. Uh, and I think we've been thinking, uh, our, our group has been thinking about schools that are in cont- are surrounded by contested spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, schools that may be uh, theologically a little bit more uh, conservative, serving uh, a more conservative uh, a group of students. I'm thinking of... Uh, a, a school in, in, in Texas that has approached us about uh, visiting with them. Um, uh, I'm thinking about schools in the Southeast, right? In the Southern states, North Carolina, for example. Uh, uh, and I'm thinking about schools uh, even in the Northeast that would, would might think that they are, uh, you know, exempt from uh, questions about uh, borderlands education because they mm-hmm. are uh, technically far away from the Southwest border. But nonetheless, in any and all of those areas, right, a conservative evangelical school in Texas, a, uh, a Southern school that uh, uh, is seeing an increase of constituencies and religious leaders who serve those constituencies th- that represent uh, uh, migrants who've moved across the country to their region because of jobs, whether it be in agriculture or other industries. Uh, Or uh, the Northeast that has a long history of receiving folks from the Caribbean, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, uh, uh, and ought not forget (laughs) those long years, even as new influxes of those communities come after their surroundings. So so I see the project as reminding, enlightening, uh, or challenging, right? all three or any of the above uh a challenging uh, enlightening and reminding uh schools in various regions of the country that we would have access to obviously they're going to they're going to have to want us to be there right so we're not going to invade a place that doesn't want us there but if they if we could you know think about a wide range of schools with different kinds of experiences where we have some inroad a colleague uh an administrator students you know uh who want to who who want us to think with them about how their curriculum needs to change in light of the reality of borderlands which is not just physically in the southwest but is uh, of, of various types whether it be folks uh crossing the border of an ocean from the Caribbean to come to the northeast or folks going from the southwest to the southeast uh, and they are there in large numbers and they need religious leaders trained by the local seminaries in, in relevant right? uh, or schools that ideologically are training uh, students that want to maintain a particular ideology around uh, their region, you know, in the southwest or elsewhere, uh, and they like the theology that nurtures <laughs> their life in the region, their comfort zones, but there is some interest in these schools to say, let's talk, let's think a little bit differently, right, about how our theology needs to resonate with the communities that are uh, coming to us or surrounding us, etc. Uh, in either case, right, we'll need allies at these places to invite us in. Uh, We're not going to raid any place, but uh, once we have several allies that are willing to open the door for us, we're going to engage them on their terms to think about the border in these wide-ranging ways, theologically, ideologically, physically. And I think that is a major, major contribution that this project can certainly contribute.
0: Yeah, the way... Yes, thank you. And the way you describe it just has reinvigorated my own commitment to the objectives of this project and how we come to these schools wanting to create a discussion and a conversation organically that there's mutual agreement to come to the table and address these issues that we know have material impact on people's lives. And can even lead to the extermination of certain populations, yes. how we understand the border, how we understand borderland. So you've also given the, the, you've mapped the landscape across theological education using your own journey through theological education and realizing that borders are also can be crossed. And so these are, these are strategies, conversations, this is a timely Issue, given the political climate that we find ourselves in, and I couldn't think of anyone else other than you to be a part of this project. As you've been speaking your own story and engaged in this interview, you've hopefully we will be able to also inspire uh, those who are listening to stay tuned and follow our our work uh, as we hope to make it available to the public in some way, our findings. Thank
1: you very much, Greg. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for highlighting these important issues in your questions and in your sharing with me, Cass, but also um, uh, engage theological schools uh, uh, around the country about them. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Teaching Borderlands. The host of this podcast is Dr. Efren Agosto from New York Theological Seminary. Music was produced by Mrs. Naomi Cuellar and edited by Aidan Nathaniel-Diaz. This podcast was made possible by the generous funding from the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. You can find more about this project at artelegrimus.org.